This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, April 23rd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show... The curve is, in fact, flattening. We see more evidence of that every day. Governor Reeves says Mississippi is performing better than projected. And how do voters grade the state's response to the pandemic? We break down the latest Millsaps Chisholm poll. Then cardiac hospital visits are down. We look at the impact COVID-19 is having on heart health. Plus, in today's book club, a shack in the Mississippi Delta is the setting for a mystery of blocked memories from 30 years earlier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Governor Tate Reeves says he expects to take steps next week to gradually reopen the state's economy during the coronavirus pandemic. He's not yet revealing what those steps will be, but says he's taking advice from public health experts. During his daily press briefing yesterday, Reeves applauded the effort of Mississippians in performing better than projections indicated. The fact is that Mississippians are doing their part to flatten the curve. And the curve is, in fact, flattening. We see more evidence of that every day. This is during the period that the national experts predicted we would be at our peak resource use. Now, those numbers are so low that they will continue to fluctuate greatly. But the good news is that they are far lower than anyone originally projected. Some national experts thought we would need about 4,000 hospital beds this week. Instead, we're using less than 400. Let that sink in. That is because your efforts are having an incredible impact. Let me say that again. What you are doing as Mississippians to protect yourselves and protect your neighbors is making a difference. Reeves asserts the state is not facing a widespread outbreak, but is instead fighting smaller, localized battles. State Health Officer Thomas Dobbs says the Department of Health is adding staff to continue the aggressive isolate and contain strategy. We're continuing to work our plan aggressively with our isolation and containment strategy. Uh, We're adding staff every day. We're up to about 200 right now. We'll continue to work that aggressively. we are expanding our outbreak response capabilities, and so you'll see more information on that as, as we work on that. Only last thing is please don't let our guard down. You know, we have flattened the curve, but, you know, we still have a lot of cases out there. We're going to have more deaths, and the better that we do individually and collectively, the more likely it is that um, we're going to get through this in a lot better shape. And then encourage, please, everyone, when you're out and about in public, if you're going shopping for uh, food and stuff, we do encourage you to wear a mask. Reeves again pointed to growing concerns of the shutdown economy. He indicates that while safety is a primary piece of his reopening plan, he wants the state to move beyond government-sanctioned interruption as quickly as possible. I have said it before, and I will say it again. There is no such thing as a non-essential business 
to the owners and the people who depend on that business to provide for their families. It is essential to provide food, supplies, and shelter for every single one of its employees, and I understand that. We cannot eliminate layoffs or economic problems. People are changing behavior on their own, and that is going to continue to make it difficult for many small businesses. We can, however, do everything in our power to limit those instances where an order from the government prevents a Mississippian from providing for themselves. I have a fundamental issue with that, and we are going to get out of that situation as quickly as we can in a safe, responsible way. A recent poll from Millsaps College and Chisholm Strategies reveals Mississippians are widely concerned about the health and economic effects of the pandemic. Nathan Schrader is chair of the Millsaps College Department of Government and Politics. In part one of our conversation, he shares what the poll reveals about how voters view the pandemic and the government's response to it. We came away with nearly 90 percent of Mississippi voters who were surveyed uh, but they're 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 very concerned about this, you know. And, and then we 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 drilled down a little deeper to talk to them about things like how this into their health, their safety, the economy, the elections this year. Were you able and to in determine fact, in the survey whether Mississippians were more concerned about the health aspect or the economic health aspect? Yeah. Well, one one thing we did not do, uh, and I've seen some national surveys that, that kind of had people rate rank or rate you know, which element of this is their, their deepest concern. We, we ask individual questions about the, about the, the, the fear of a recession, the uh, a concern or increased worry over being able to afford health insurance or medical costs at this time. You know, we, we did not ask them to rank those. But what we did find here, um, you know, 70% of Mississippians are more concerned now uh, than pre-pandemic about just affording healthcare costs and insurance expenses. Uh, it, but, but it's interesting how this lines up. That at the same time, seventy uh, percent of Mississippians uh, also say they're concerned about what uh, type of uh, whether we will have some sort of disruption in the, no- the November election due due to this, uh, and also. Uh, significant concern over uh, the possibility of, uh, of, of a recession. What do voters think of the response to the coronavirus from uh, President yeah. Trump, from the federal government, from the state government, local government? Uh, we asked the, we asked voters to tell us whether they are, uh, to tell us more about their level of confidence uh, in the responses from the federal, state, and local government. We did this actually as, three separate questions so as not to confuse any respondents with, 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 with tying them all together in one question. And we found uh, a substantial number of voters, a clear majority of voters, say that they are they, they have confidence in the federal, state, local response. So 62% uh, tell us that they are confident in the way the federal government has responded. 64% confident in the, the state government's response here in Mississippi. And then thinking about their own local government's response, uh, that was the highest of 66%. But here, here, here's a, a, a second question we asked, but only pertaining to the state of Mississippi. We asked voters to tell us if they feel that the state of Mississippi's response has been appropriate, 
Uh, has it gone too far uh, or has it not gone far enough? Now, this is where we, we saw more variation. Uh, first, only 8% uh, of, of the electorate feels that the state government response here has gone too far. A plurality of 45% say that they feel that the state of Mississippi's response has been appropriate. But 42%, you know, almost within the margin of error on that, says that, that Mississippi state government response has not gone far enough. So, so that, that, again, that's a little different way of getting at this, asking about the, the, the level of the response as a follow-up to the confidence level. Right? So voters have expressing confidence in the federal, state, and local government response, but it's a mixed bag when asked if the state of Mississippi's specific response has, got, has been appropriate or whether it's not gone far enough. That's clearly a point of division. Did you ask respondents whether they had been affected job-wise by the coronavirus? We, not, not specifically. The first question that we asked about this was about whether or not voters have had their lives disrupted by the coronavirus outbreak. What we found, though, 83% of Mississippians say that the coronavirus outbreak has uh, disrupted their lives. And it's a, it's a very relatively small share, only 2%. Uh, said that their lives have not been disrupted at all. And I, I, I wonder, I would like to meet that 2% <laughs> because it, <laughs> it, 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 seems, it, it just seems like this is an area where uh, we're all feeling the effects of this. Uh, but it, the, other, the other question that I think maybe gets to your, what, what you were asking me about, we had asked a very specific question about, uh, and the wording of it was, overall, are you concerned that the coronavirus outbreak will lead to an economic recession in the United States? 73% say that they believe this is, you know, are, or they are concerned that this will lead us to a nationwide recession. And that number, that 73% cuts across party affiliation, uh, gender, age, race, you know, that, that there is, you know, there's a lot of pessimism balled up in, you know, in, in that particular mm-hmm. response that, only 14% of voters tell us that they're, they're not concerned about a recession. Nathan Trader is the chair of the Millsaps College Department of Government and Politics. The poll was conducted April 8th through 9th in part two of our conversation tomorrow. 73% say they're concerned about the uh, economic recession. Well, 71% told us that they're concerned about election disruptions in the, in the fall. Coming up, cardiac hospital visits are down. We look at the impact COVID-19 is having on heart health. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you ever miss one of our locally produced shows or want to simply hear it again, you can find what you need at mpbonline.org or download our podcast app to your smartphone. MPB programming is on your schedule at mpbonline.org.
This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. With health officials across America focused on preventing the spread of COVID-19 in the nation's hospitals, some people with unrelated yet urgent health problems are avoiding emergency rooms. But doctors say they shouldn't, especially if they're experiencing heart-related problems. Dr. William Crowder is a cardiologist with the Jackson Heart Clinic. He shares the impact of the pandemic on heart health with our Michael Guidry. We are seeing, I think, a hesitance um, to present with, with heart attack symptoms. Um, this has been a nationwide trend that it's just they've disappeared. We're just not seeing them. It's very rare to come in in the middle of the night um, during the last six weeks. It's been, quite frankly, it's been crazy. And so what we fear is that patients are sitting on severe symptoms for the fear of COVID in the emergency room or COVID exposure at the hospital setting and are just sucking it up and not doing anything for for all practical purposes, Um, which is obviously bad. And we're worried that we're going to see an uptick in complications related to, you know, delayed treatment for their heart condition uh, in the weeks to come. How important is early medical attention when someone is experiencing heart attack symptoms? I think it is vital uh, to get in and get treated as soon as possible. And the reason being, the time, you know, the clock is ticking once those symptoms start. And you have uh, literally damaged the heart tissue that's irreversible. That can lead to, you know, long-term disability or long-term heart failure and those sorts of symptoms. But the, the news is, and that's what it's been, I think, over the last decade or more, that death rates and complications from heart attack and stroke have been on the decline for years because we do have valid treatments for these conditions. But if somebody comes in with a heart attack and their artery to their heart muscle is occluded, we can actually go in there and open that up in a, in a matter of minutes and that is not an exaggeration, and restore blood flow to heart tissue. And so getting that done as quickly as possible increases your odds of, you know, event for, you know, long-term survival without some sort of disability or long-term heart problem. On the other hand, if you wait and delay treatment, then you start seeing complications uh, that, quite frankly, we haven't seen in in years. I mean, the the consequences of you know, untreated heart attack can be really, really bad. What are the symptoms that people should be on alert for, and when should you call or someone call 911 when experiencing those symptoms? Right. So from, from a cardiac standpoint, um, you know, any unusual or new chest discomfort, chest pressure, sometimes it's described as an elephant sitting on the chest, uh, a pain that might radiate into the jaw. These symptoms can be relay, uh, um, accompanied by sweaty feeling, shortness of breath, nausea. Anything out of the out of the norm needs to be addressed when it comes to chest pain. Um, this also can be a sudden decrease in exercise tolerance if somebody has. Uh, onset of chest pain when they're doing minimal activity, that can be an alarming symptom as well. Uh, And the idea is to always call an ambulance and to get that 
uh, the emergency medical technicians to do the initial point, uh, a contact point. And the reason I say that is the paramedics now are trained to do EKGs in route, in, in the ambulance. And an EKG is a measurement of your heart electrical activity and can diagnose the heart attack. And so if the EMT finds a heart attack at that early point of contact, they can then call the hospital, activate our heart attack program, and we can actually be waiting for that ambulance when they pull up to the hospital and that patient goes straight to the cath lab to get treated. So it takes out the whole have to stop in the ER and get that treatment there, if that makes sense. The Department of Health has started releasing data on comorbidities when it comes to COVID-19, and cardiovascular issues are at the top of that list. What are the compounding factors and risks uh, of someone with cardiovascular issues contracting COVID-19? So it seems to be that the patient population that's most impacted uh, by this with regard to dying uh, are heart patients. And there's some studies that have shown there's a 10% or more mortality rate in cardiac patients who contract COVID. Now, what constitutes a cardiac patient? You know, cardiologists see a variety of conditions, anything from simple hypertension to someone that has a very, very weak heart or heart failure. And so I think it's simply a matter that your body's reserve is all used up trying to take care of the heart problems, and then you add another uh, problem, particularly something like COVID, which can cause real low oxygen levels. And so if you've got lots of blockage um, in the first place and then all of a sudden you decrease your oxygen levels, then that can compound the problem and make it much harder to treat. Um, The second part of this, though, is people that have COVID might have no pre-existing heart problems and the virus itself can cause an inflammation of the heart muscle weakness, sometimes There are case reports where the COVID mimics a heart attack. It can make the EKG look like the patient is having a heart attack. So there is really a mixed bag when it comes to this virus. Dr. William Crowder is a cardiologist with the Jackson Heart Clinic. Thank you so much, Dr. Crowder. All right. Thank you very much. I enjoy talking to you. Coming up in today's book club, a shack in the Mississippi Delta is the setting for a mystery of blocked memories from 30 years earlier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. Last July, our book club selection featured The Gone Dead by Chanel Benz. Soon after, the book was named a New York Times Book Review Editor's Choice, as well as named Best New Book of the Summer by O, the Oprah Magazine, Time, and Southern Living. We revisit our conversation with Benz, who told us her writing career began after her efforts to become an actor failed. I decided to go to a writer's conference, and so I submitted my work, and I went, and I had this wonderful mentor there who said, you're a writer, and it was just a great relief. 
Your first release was a short story collection. I love the name. The man who shot my eye out is dead. Great title. (laughs) And it was very well received. And with this, your first novel, it has been very much anticipated. Does that put special pressure on you or do you enjoy being noticed that way and you can't wait to get the book out there? Well, I think it helps that it wasn't flip-flopped. I think that it being my second book, it kind of feels like this is not my first rodeo, so I have an idea of what it's going to be like. I'm incredibly grateful, and it's really nice to see this book getting more attention and getting many more reviews, which does mean potentially more criticism. (laughs) Um, I worked on this book for so long, I just feel like I can stand by it come hell or high water. Let's talk about The Gone Dead. After your main character's father dies, she's left a little shack in the Mississippi Delta. Why is the Mississippi Delta your setting? I lived briefly in Hattiesburg, and there were times where there wasn't that much to do. (laughs) And so I would just get in the car and drive. I'm a big lover of history, so I tried to go to as many sort of historical towns as I could. And I found myself going back and back to the Delta and starting to read about the history of the Delta And one thing that particularly drew me in were the civil rights era cold cases and just the sense that there were a lot of stories I'd never heard before and that these people's families who had been murdered were still alive and these murderers' families were also still alive and in the area often and maybe the perpetrators themselves. I was sort of intrigued and enraged that these stories have barely been in our sort of public discourse, but also that almost none of these families have gotten any sort of justice. And I started to sort of ask myself why and imagine what that would be like to grow up in a town where you are passing people involved with maybe your father's murder or your sister's on the street, and you're encountering them or at least encountering people who know what happened but are never going to tell you. And I started to think about that, and I started to think about memory the stories that were told about our families, the stories that were told about ourselves as children. And we sort of accept that. And then as adults, we start to ask questions. What actually happened? Billy gets this little shack that's left by her father. It's in a very secluded area in the Delta. Did she actually live in that shack as a child? Because it's 30 years since she's returned to her past. Yeah, she spent some summers in that shack as a small child. What happens when she goes back after 30 years? You know, when she goes back, she starts to find out a little bit more about her father's death and the circumstances of his death, which she had always been told was this sort of tragic accident, and that perhaps it's not as accidental as she thought, and also that she was there. For me, is something that's happened with a lot of my childhood sort of stories I've been told about myself, that things are a lot more complicated than I originally thought. And she starts to meet people that knew her father and sort of ask questions, which sometimes isn't very well received. She doesn't remember anything surrounding her father's death, although she was present during it? Not really, because she was just four. But at the same time, we do start, I think, keeping memories at the age of three. One of the questions that the book is asking is, are the memories that you think you remember from, say, age four real, or are they invented because you've been told the story so many times, so you've invented these images to accompany that story. Do you view this book as a thriller? I think of it more as a book that has mystery at its heart, 
but I have heard people refer to it as a thriller. I'm happy for that to happen, but I do think it's funny because I wasn't thinking that way at all. I was just thinking, what's going to get the reader to turn the page? Is it directly related to the cold cases in Mississippi that you were drawn to when you lived here? The book goes between 2003 and 1971, so it's after the civil rights era that we think of in Mississippi, you know, after Freedom Summer. And I was interested in that moment, like what happens when the national attention goes away, what happens when the cameras are gone and all the people, and you're just left with the people in the town. I was interested in what has happened since. So very intriguing, to say the least. (laughs) (laughs) The name of the book is The Gone Dead, and we've been speaking with its author, Chanel Benz. Thank you so much, Chanel. Thank you for having me. Before we go, the Mississippi Department of Health is continuing its aggressive testing strategy this week through additional one-day collection sites. One site will be available today in Hines County at the Tougaloo College Owens Health and Wellness Center. Anyone experiencing symptoms related to COVID-19 and feels they should be tested must first go through a free screening from a UMMC clinician through the C Spire Health UMMC triage app. The Delta Health Center will conduct independent testing in Cleveland across from the Bolivar Medical Center until 3.30 today. The testing site today for Walthall County has been canceled. To stay up to date on the latest regarding coronavirus, visit mpbonline.org slash coronavirus. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.